She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files podcast, season two. Episode 21. The Kalashari. In this episode, after a toddler dies in a mysterious accident, Mulder thinks poltergeists are involved and Scully suspects Munchausen by proxy. But as they investigate, more tragedy befalls the family and it appears something more sinister is at work. (laughs) This episode was written by Sarah B. Charno and directed by Michael Vajar. Was filmed in Vancouver, British Columbia. Its original air date was Friday, April 14th, 1995. And the previous week, on April 7th, they aired a repeat of Excelsis Day. It had a viewership of 12.9 million in the United States, which is down another 1.8 million and is down nearly 5 million from the highest viewed episode of season two, which was only two months ago. But to be fair, it's still like 0.9 million over the viewership of Pilot and 4.1 million more than the lowest viewership during season one. So... And interestingly, season one had two episodes that tied for the lowest viewership, and so does season two. This is the first one. Nice. I mean, maybe not as the lowest viewership, but... Well, I guess interesting. We got the lowest viewership! Nice. Woo! Lowest. It is interesting to see just how, like, ratings in real time played out. Yeah, because it basically has nothing to do with how good of an episode it is. Right, because no one knows before they watch it, so they don't know what they're getting into. Maybe we should stop doing it. I don't know. It seems weird. Yeah. Eh. (laughs) I mean, it's interesting to know how many people tuned in and, like, what was going on. And, you know, some of that stuff could be related to, like, not only what aired next week, but what else was airing on TV at the time or, like... I mean, this is the day before tax day. Were people that affected at all? Like, who knows, right? Like, you just well, really know. tax day would have been the Monday after because they don't do taxes on weekends. But sure, whatever, fine. I mean, so we are at Lincoln Park in Murray, Virginia. Yay! And there's a train ride circling through a small amusement park. Woo woo! And there's young boy Charlie. He's watching it pass. And then his mom, who's with his toddler brother, calls them. Charlie and his dad comes up behind her and he's got ice cream cones for the whole family. Woo! Toddler Teddy lets go of his balloon and it flies away. And then he grabs his ice cream cone and then he falls down and smashes his ice cream cone and then he starts crying. So his mom picks him up and dad takes Charlie's balloon and gives it to Teddy because dad is awesome. <laughs> and then mom Maggie takes Teddy to the bathroom to go get him cleaned up. So then Charlie's dad tells him, eat your ice cream. And he's like, I don't want ice cream. I want my balloon. But his dad, Steve, promises to get him a new balloon. But he's like, I want my balloon. So then dad's like, whatever, fine. And then he takes all the ice cream and he puts them in the garbage and complains about how it was a waste of money to buy them. (laughs) Awesome dad. So in the bathroom, Maggie cleans up Teddy's face. And then she hooks up his child harness to the bar on the sink. And then she goes in the stall to use the restroom. And Teddy lets go of that balloon and it floats out the bathroom window. Woo. And then mom, she's singing a song to keep Teddy occupied. He's like, ah. 
and then she kind of peeks out into the stall. She's got flexibility and sees his little legs there. And then she finishes doing what she's doing and she comes out. And Teddy's gone and his harness is lying on the floor. And she runs out of the bathroom yelling his name, looking around frantically. And then we see Ted Lee. He's just doing that toddler thing, that kind of walky thing that little kids do, following the pink balloon as it goes through the park. And he ends up following it to the train tracks that surround the park. And so there's some dude taking a family photo. And behind his family, he's like, there's a kid on the track. And then so Teddy's dad sees him and runs, calling his name, Teddy. And then Maggie does the same thing, but they're too far away. Meanwhile, Teddy has got the balloon now. And he's like, oh, balloon. And the train is coming up right behind him. And the train driver's like, oh, no. And he tries to pull the brake, but it doesn't work. And he blows the horn, but he can't stop it. And then we see the train go by. Oh, no. Oh, no. And mom and dad run and they cradle his body. And they're, well, we don't actually see his body, but they bend down and are doing something. And Charlie's just watching kind of expressionless and then the balloon kind of comes around and goes behind him and just kind of like I'm back dude hey and then we get things on yeah it just kind of hovers behind him yeah which is not ominous at all no nope so I did not recognize him at first like he looked familiar but I did not figure out who he was but Charlie is played by Joel Palmer who two years prior played Kevin Morris in Conduit so he's the little boy from Conduit yeah, two years to make a big difference when you're that little. Yeah, it really does. Like, he does look a lot different. Yeah. Still has those eyes, though. They're pretty piercing. And in the 90s, he appeared in a lot of TV movies and television shows, including The Commish and The Outer Limits. And Steve Holvey is played by Rick Reed, who played an assistant coroner in the pilot episode. He was also on The Commission Outer Limits, as well as 21 Jump Street, Rain, and Suits. And he's still acting. So his Were they in the same episodes updated. of The Commission and The Outer Limits? I don't know for sure. I don't think so. But it, they did obviously work on the same show. So I don't know if they okay. ever crossed paths. And obviously, this is The Outer Limits reboot from the 90s. Right. The yeah. The Which is the only one I think I've ever seen. <laughs> Whoops. And Teddy Holby is played by triplets, as small children often are. They are Isaac, Jeremy, and Oliver Wildsmith, and they will actually appear in one more episode of The X-Files as well. Yep, and they're uncredited in this episode, and they're going to be uncredited in that episode as well. Huh. So hopefully we'll remember to talk. To, it'll be like in two years, by the way. Just so you Yeah. Know. I mean, not, not for you guys, but for X-Files land, two years. Yeah, so four. they'll be a little older. Yeah. The cow catcher on that train obviously is worthless because should have just like pushed the kid aside i mean probably would have messed him up still but wouldn't have run him over we're guessing he got run over we don't know but yeah yeah and as i uh, kind of hinted at in my well, maybe not hinted is the right word as i kind of explicitly stated in my description of the scene that dad sucks at being a dad oh my god he sucks at being a dad takes the kid's balloon and gives it to the other kid doesn't even ask him buys all this ice cream and then throws all the ice cream away. One is still on the ground. They don't pick it up, which is bad enough. But then he like he like throws away his and his wife's ice cream too. Like, why? Why did you even buy them then if you're not going to eat them? Yeah, I mean, it, the kids' ice cream. It rang true to me. Like I could see this guy. Like he's trying and he's just not very good at it. And I definitely got the impression that he spends more time not around the children. <laughs> Like he spends more time probably at the office or at work and like away from the kids. And so like, I, I get the impression that he's not super great at knowing how to handle anything. 
Mm. That's the impression that I got. The continuity editor also is not super good at doing things because there's two ice creams with double scoops and there's two with single scoops. You assume single scoop for the kids and double scoop for the parents. The double scoop cone, though, changes hands between dad and Charlie a couple of times during the course oh, of the whoops. scene. <laughs> yeah. At first, Charlie has the single scoop. And then when, when Teddy loses the balloon, dad's holding both double scoops. And then when he steals Charlie's balloon to give it to Teddy, Charlie is holding the double scoop and dad is holding a single <laughs> scoop and a double scoop. Oh, and man. Yeah. Yeah. So. Someone was but, not yeah. paying a lot of attention that day. He didn't even ask his wife, like, do you want your ice cream when you come back? No, I'm just going to throw it away. Not a great dad or husband, maybe. <laughs> that. So It must be hard to eat ice cream with, like, a toddler and, like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure people manage it all the time. It's hard for me to eat ice cream with my cats because one of my cat will, like, try and fight me for ice cream because he loves it. Um, so it's a little challenging. But, yeah, Teddy. Eh, I'm not a fan of Teddy. I mean, you know, you don't want to wish <laughs> someone death, but you know, rest, rest in peace, Teddy. But he was kind of a. I mean, he's kid. a two-year-old. I think that's what kids do. He wasn't. He wasn't cute. He was Can't cute. Well. He was. He was he not was cute. A cute. His head, little his head kid. is way too big. Got them <laughs> ugly old giant curls. No, he, he hasn't grown into it yet. He's cute. He's a cute little kid. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we could disagree on that. So they're at Dr. Charles Burke's lab. Who's they? Uh, Mulder and Scully. Oh, okay. Who else? <laughs> Who, I mean, obviously, was talking about Bucky and Captain America. Oh. No. <laughs> so we're at... The damn time stone. <laughs> oh, let's not even get started on Loki. I just won't shut up. <laughs> I'm obsessed. I didn't expect to. I did not expect to give a crap, and I'm really obsessed. It's disturbing. Yes. So, um, sorry to interrupt the whole X Files podcast, everybody. Tori explicitly stated how she did not give a rat's ass about Loki before it did started. Not, did and not. Now, she now I'm is. obsessed. <laughs> I'm so invested. I have never related to somebody more. I do not know what's <laughs> happening. The show has taken over my life, and I did not expect that. So, you win, Marvel. You win again. Anyway. <laughs> now, back to your regularly scheduled X Files programming. So we are at Dr. Charles Burke's lab at the University of Maryland in College Park. And Mulder has his trusty slide projector out and he's showing Scully a photo that has Teddy in the background. And you can see like Teddy's going through the fence to the train track. And he tells her the photo was taken three months ago. And the boy is Teddy Holvey, age two, who was killed minutes after the photo was taken. He apparently wandered onto the track and was hit by the little train that goes around the amusement park. The conductor tried to stop, but he was unable to stop due to a malfunction in the braking system. Because Mr. Holvey works for the State Department, an inquest was held because of the unusual circumstances of the accident. And Scully asked if the inquest found anything, and it didn't, but the coroner called Mulder afterward. I don't like the implications of that statement. No? That because he worked for the State Department, they had an inquest. Yeah. Like, oh, just because of your power, mister? That's not cool. I mean, you should anyway. have an inquest if a child dies in an amusement park anyway, because that's, especially under those kind of weird circumstances, like, yeah, it should just happen. Because it's the government. Mm -hmm. But the coroner was concerned, and Mulder thinks he has good reason to be. He points at the photo again and says that the balloon is helium, so it should have floated up and away. But instead, it's moving away from Teddy horizontally. 
And Scully points out that the wind could do that, but Mulder actually called the weather service. On the day in question, the wind was blowing north, but the balloon was moving south. And it's almost as if the balloon was being pulled along. That's why they came to Chuck's lab because he's a master of digital imaging and he can pull small details out of a simple photographic print. And Chuck is there, we see he's there in the lab with them. And he says, not details, information. Mm. And Ch yeah, Chuck says there are limits to what the human eye can perceive, but he's designed special software to find hidden information in digital photos. So he presses some buttons and messes around with the photo and eventually reveals a pattern of what he calls electromagnetic energy that actually looks like a child-shaped thing holding onto the balloon. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mulder has a lot of information about the balloon for a static photo, I do have to say. Yeah, well, I'm assuming he also got reports and stuff and like witness okay. account reports and stuff. I don't think it's just based on one photo. Like he knows direction and all this kind of stuff. Oh yeah, I'm sure he has a whole file. Like I'm sure he's okay. probably read the inquest. Okay. Also, it seems like Chuck invented Photoshop. <laughs> I know he didn't, but... It's... No, he didn't, because it was invented in 1985, and I have a big, long thing in my notes all about Photoshop, and I'm not going to say any of it. So, <laughs> but I also like the idea... Well, I don't like the idea. I kind of don't like the idea of, like, we can find all the hidden EMF in a photograph. Like, cameras work like the human eye, because if they did all that extra stuff, it would be inefficient and... That's why we have specialty cameras and specialty film to find all the stuff that we can't see with our eye. So the idea that just like your hokey dokey camera has all this hidden information in it seems a little. Yeah. Although that is very standard, like ghost hunter kind of stuff. I'm not saying ghost hunters. <laughs> I'm not saying any of that is legitimate. I'm just saying that like, that is kind of the standard, like paranormal investigation. Like we're going to yeah. look at this photo and find the energy or find the yeah. spots anyway. Chuck is played by Bill Dow, and he will appear in nine X-Files episodes. So he was the dad in the woods at the end of Jersey Devil, mm -hmm. but he will play Chuck slash Charles Burke, sometimes referred to as Charles Burks, in six more episodes, and he'll appear as two other characters, including one in the 2018 season. And he'll also appear in two episodes of Millennium. In addition, he's been in very, very many things, including Stargate SG-1, Dead Like Me, Supernatural, Twice, and iZombie. Mm. That was my iZombie noise. Oh, cool. iZombie's pretty... The first few seasons are pretty good. I was That wasn't an iZombie noise. That was just... I was trying to think of something to say. Oh. So, yeah. <laughs> so I'm with Scully on this one, because she's like, so you think a ghost killed the boy? And she's like, did anyone check the camera? And like, if the lens was clean or if anything else going on with the camera. And then, interestingly enough, they have the camera there in a bag. So that poor dude just taking family photos, like, boom, sorry, we're taking your camera because this guy works for the government. Too bad, dude. Yeah. That's messed up. And anyway, Hopefully it says it they totally reimbursed him. <laughs> government. And he says it checked out. And so Mulder thinks, based on the information that Chuck has managed to uncover, that it's clearly some kind of poltergeist activity. And Scully's like, it's the same reason people see Jesus's face in the bark of an elm tree. And Mulder pulls out the harness and he explains that Teddy would have had to escape it. And the CMA, which is a certified medical assistant, even took the harness home and put it on his two-year-old son, which one, 
chain of evidence, that's not good, I don't I think. <laughs> but no, also, they're not good with chain of custody. And no, <laughs> we've talked about that a couple of times. It's just they're not good at it. Yeah. And his kid could not get out of it. So obviously it's impossible to get out of. And Mulder says that Teddy would have had to have been the reincarnation of Houdini, which would be an X-File in itself. And I'm like, maybe the CMA's kid just isn't that bright and couldn't get out of the harness. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> you know? It's like, oh, I took it home. My kid got out of it. So it must be impossible to get out of. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> but also, don't take evidence home, people. God, what's no, wrong with you guys? No, <laughs> get, like, get the exact same brand of harness and like test that. Yeah. Yeah, that's how you do it. it. Which maybe is what he meant. I don't know. Anyway. (laughs) I doubt it. I seriously doubt it. Yeah, probably not on this show. So then we're at the Holvey residence in Arlington, Virginia. And Mulder and Scully arrive at the Holvey home. And as they approach the door, we see upstairs, there's this old woman in a black shawl. And she's watching them approach. (sighs) Inside the house, Miss Holvey says she doesn't really understand what they want. There's already been a formal inquest. And Mulder says they have reason to believe that something may have been overlooked and there's a possibility that Teddy was helped onto the tracks. Mr. Holby says there were a hundred witnesses and they all saw Teddy go out there by himself. So like there was no one who like let him on the track. There was no one who pushed him on the track. No one who helped him in any way. No one saw anything. And the fire in the fireplace flares up and we see Charlie is standing in the doorway to the room. And Scully sees him go past, and so she, like, kind of heads to the doorway and pokes her head out. And she sees Charlie on the landing of the stairs with the old woman, and the old woman is, like, drawing something on the back of his hand, which we see is, like, a swastika with dots around it, which I made a comment, like, oh, yay, more good swastikas, which is because we had watched an episode of Kolchek, which will be available on our premium feed when that comes out. And there's another episode that also features, like, good protective swastikas so lots of swastikas so many so So many many swastikas swastikas. yes and this is what we would call a left facing swastika so it's Mm -hmm. actually the not the one that you usually see with nazis that one is a right swastika or Mm -hmm. clockwise this one is a counterclockwise this one is supposedly a good omen right yes and that episode will be out on march 15th because we're not messing around about recording this stuff ahead of time people so (laughs) march 15th 2022 Kolchek, the Night Stalker, the horror in the heights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anyway. so we go into a lot of detail about the swastika there. <laughs> yeah, I read from Britannica.com. He does. Yeah. So Scully goes back in the room and she asks if they had any hired help at the time of the accident. Miss Holvey says no, but her mother came to live with them once Teddy was born. And Mulder asks if around the time of the accident, the Holveys noticed any strange things around the home. And then he's cut off by this shrill sound and Mr. Holby's like, oh, it's a damn smoke detector. So he excuses himself to go turn it off and then the power goes off. And Mulder asks if that happens a lot and Miss Holby's like, well, you know, it's an old house with old wiring. So apparently, yes. Hmm. So the power comes back on and so just to make things easier, so the old woman, her name is Golda and she is the mom's mom. So she's like the grandma. And the mom is Maggie, and the dad is Steve. I'm going to start saying just Golda, Maggie, Steve, okay? Just for clarification. So the power comes back on, and Golda is standing there with her hands on Charlie's shoulders. And she starts to speak to Maggie in another language, which we'll learn is Romanian. And 
Maggie tells her mom that it was just a false alarm, but then Golda says no, and she points to Charlie and keeps speaking in Romanian. Mulder notices the symbol on Charlie's hand and the red string tied around his wrist. So Scully asks Maggie what Golda is saying. And then Steve comes back and Golda says, you marry a devil, you have devil child. And then she takes Charlie and leaves. So Golda is apparently not a fan of Steve. So <laughs> Apparently not, no. No. So then we're no longer in the Maggie Steve Golda house and we're in the X-Files office. And Mulder is looking at a book of symbols. And he shows Scully the book. And he's like, do you recognize this symbol? And she's like, it's a swastika. And he's like, it's actually an ancient symbol of good luck and protection. And then Mulder thinks that Golda drew it on Charlie's hand to protect him. Scully says she saw her drawing it. And she thinks that boy needs all the protection he can get. But not just from ghosties or beasties. And she hands Mulder a folder and ask him if he's ever heard of Munchausen by proxy. It's when a parent or caretaker harms a child by inducing medical symptoms, usually to get attention or sympathy for the parent. According to his medical history, Teddy was admitted to the hospital 10 times in the two years he was alive. And that's once every three months, roughly. So Mulder reads the report, notes that Teddy has suffered from projectile vomiting and then vomiting and then diarrhea and then diarrhea and then it's like back and forth, right? And so... Each time they were unable to determine the cause and Mulder's like, why was no one questioned this? And Scully tells him, well, the Holdenies move around a lot, apparently. And so it takes time for records to transfer from hospital to hospital. Mm-hmm. So Munchausen by proxy is actually now called fictitious disorder imposed on another FDIA. Oh, I didn't know they changed the name. That's yeah. interesting. It was formerly known as Munchausen syndrome by proxy, MSP. As we said, it's a condition where a caretaker creates the appearance of health problems in another person, typically their child. The condition was first named as Munchausen syndrome by proxy in 1977 by a British pediatrician, Roy Meadow, as an externalized form of Munchausen syndrome, which also is now known as fictitious disorder imposed on self or just fictitious disorder, FD. The adult perpetrator is actually the one with the diagnosis of FDIA and directly produces or lies about illnesses in another person under his or her care, usually a child under six years of age. This also may include injuring the child or altering test samples and is considered a form Mm -hmm. of child abuse. And it's also a criminal offense. However, cases have been reported on adult victims as well, usually like disabled or elderly people. The DSM-5 describes a diagnosis to include falsification of physical or psychological signs of symptoms and induction of illness or injury to another associated with deception. The primary motive may be to gain attention and manipulate physicians. The cause is unknown, but risk factors can include pregnancy-related complications or a mother who was abused as a child or has FD herself. And there's no evidence of external rewards or other illness to explain the symptoms. Mm -hmm. Appears to be relatively rare, two out of 100,000 children are afflicted which i mean again we're talking about it's actually the adult who has it but the children are affected right and 95 percent of the cases involve the mother yes the most famous case is gypsy rose blanchard Um, i know gypsy is a slur that's her actual name her mom she basically from the time gypsy was like a little baby just would just go to the doctor and tell everyone she had all these health problems and she ended up 
telling Gypsy that she had leukemia and she would be giving her cancer drugs and all sorts of stuff that was making her sick because she didn't obviously have the things that were being treated. And she also made Gypsy pretend like she couldn't walk. So she had to use a wheelchair, even though she could walk. And as Gypsy got older, she realized, obviously, you know, I can walk. So maybe this other stuff isn't true. But every time she tried to get away from her mom, her mom would just say that Gypsy was cognitively disabled. And so like, she, you know, people wouldn't believe her and would just send her back to her mom. And eventually Gypsy and a boyfriend murdered the mother. Um, so there's a, there's a really great documentary. I think it's Mommy Dead and Dearest or something. It's on HBO. It's a really, really good documentary about her story and about what happened. And they do interview her. She's in prison. She got kind of a reduced sentence because obviously she was abused and um, her situation was really awful. But her mom got away with it for so long, partly because they had lived in Louisiana and they moved away after Hurricane Katrina and her mom would just say, oh, her records were lost in Katrina. So like they couldn't go back to when Gypsy, like her first 10 years. And oh, so, so that's they, a really recent thing. Okay. Yeah. Oh. And so they couldn't go back and like tell like, oh, she doesn't actually have leukemia. She didn't know because they would just believe the mom because they would try and get her medical records. It's like, oh, they were lost in Katrina. I can't get them. She also scammed people out of a lot of money. She got Habitat for Humanity to build them a house. She would use Gypsy to raise money for like you know, because her child is, has all these problems and health issues and, you know, that she didn't really have. Anyway, it's, the, the story is really horrific all around, but it's the most famous case of Munchausen by proxy. Mm. Wow. Yeah, they did change it in the DSM-5. It's now. Yeah, now FDIA. it's something else, but yeah, it so, used to be yeah. called that. I wonder, I mean, he's probably just a greedy bastard, but I wonder if Britney Spears' dad would be considered part I of I don't that. know if that's the case, but because it's more of a, con- that's a different, slightly different issue, but it's the same sort of thing where you're just like i mean in this case the mom was obviously using the kid for financial gain as well as for like attention mm-hmm. and stuff. but like yeah i don't know but definitely what's going on with britney spears yeah so, for sure for yeah. sure yeah. that whole situation is also horrible and another example of why we need more rights for disabled people and to stop acting like they're second class citizens but that's a whole other rant so anyway we won't go into yep. that right now yeah all that is to say I am actually really pleased to see Scully, a.k.a. X-Files writers by proxy, using a diagnosis correctly. Yeah. I say sort of because I'm not sure how it refers to getting hit by a train. Well, I would say that the train thing could be a result of abuse because of neglect or because of, I mean, it just is part of a pattern, right? So it could just be another Uh, stage because a lot of times... I don't know how many cases it ends in murder of the child, but in a lot of cases, the child does die because of either accidentally because they're being given drugs to create symptoms that wouldn't otherwise exist or because of just sustained abuse. So death can be a result for sure. But yeah, yeah. usually not by train, but you know. (laughs) Yeah. So Scully notes that it is rarely limited to one child, this kind of abuse. And so Scully also checked out Charlie's history as well. And he has also had a string of medical problems Mm -hmm. starting around the same time that Teddy was born and when Golda, their grandma, moved in. Mm -hmm. And then Scully says that oftentimes the perpetrator of Munchausen by proxy will view the child as evil. That's not anywhere in the literature, but I guess they decided to put that in there because it fits the story. And that she thinks grandma is a likely candidate because it could be any family member. Mulder asks if she feels like taking a trip over to the state department. Right. So, yeah, they were so close. They just had to have that little thing about being evil, but whatever. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's for the plot. Yeah. 
So we're at the State Department in Washington, D.C. Steve Holby is seated at a desk, and he tells Mulder and Scully that things have been strained since Golda, his mother-in-law, moved in with them. He met Maggie in Romania in 1984, and Golda forbade their marriage, saying he was the devil. After he got transferred back to the U.S., things got somewhat better until Teddy was born and Golda moved in. And that's when the strangeness began. He tells them that superstitions rule Golda's life. She spits when anyone compliments the kids. She pours hot water over the threshold to ward off demons. She ties strings around the kids' wrists. Once, he caught her throwing chicken guts on the roof. And then Teddy and Charlie started getting sick. And Scully asks if he suspects Golda. And Holby says that she'll call Charlie evil right to his face. But at the same time, she dotes on him. And Mulder asks if Golda is afraid of him or for him. And Holby doesn't know. So Scully asks if he knows about Munchausen by proxy. And Steve asks if she's accusing them of child abuse. And so Scully points out that Teddy's medical records raise some questions. And Steve would never say this to his wife, but he has wondered if it was Golda who snuck into the bathroom and let Teddy out of his harness that day. And Scully says she wants to interview Charlie with a professional counselor. And then she hands him Karen Kosev's card. And he says, that's going to be hard. So did Golda go to the amusement park with him? I don't think so, but he I think he's saying he wondered if maybe she like followed them there she and snuck into the bathroom. Or maybe she was there and like when we went to places with my grandma, sometimes my grandma would just go sit on a bench for a while because she was like exhausted by all of us, you know, running around doing stuff. So maybe she grandma didn't buy was Golda just... any ice cream. Well <laughs> No wonder she doesn't like him. Yeah, maybe maybe she was sitting on the bench and he's like getting ice cream and not buying grandma and maybe so maybe she was there either way he he kind of suspects maybe she was the one who let him off the she's ice. like i would have ate one of those ice creams too in the garbage what's wrong with you <laughs> mm, mm, mm. yeah and so christine wills returns as agent krosef the lcsw licensed clinical social worker that was last seen in irresistible which of course tori does not know anything about no nope, nothing except i do weirdly remember scully going to therapy with this really awesome therapist i don't know what episode that was in hmm. huh yeah she's not so awesome in this one anyway oh i like her in this one oh, okay <laughs> i don't think she does very much but i like seeing her potato potato she has a wide branch of like she deals with scully she does little kid therapy she's got yeah. a very wide everyone here is very wide in there look i'm just excited to have recurring characters so if they have to expand their job description a little to weasel them in i'm fine with it it's kind of like i'm super happy that scully is like using science correctly it's psychology which is not what her degree is in because she's a medical doctor but okay whatever i'll take what i can get but i mean munchausen so. by proxy comes up in medical situations which i know because it came up on house oh well then there we go i mean i should break out the textbooks there we go but okay. sarah charno wrote for house also just for the oh record. well then also there we go because <laughs> anyway i'm just saying it all connects she's just recycling them scripts all right so we're at the holvey home and Mulder and Scully are standing in the kitchen with Charlie, who's seated at a breakfast bar. And we can hear mom and dad arguing. And Maggie thinks they want to take Charlie away. But Steve just insists they want him to speak to a social worker. And Golda is in the kitchen and she is cooking on the stove. 
and she overhears all of this as well. You can't not hear it. It's like everyone hears They're it. Charlie room, hears yeah. it. Mulder and Scully there. hear it. Golda hears it. Everyone <laughs> hears it. They might as well be in the same room, honestly. Yeah. So Scully is watching Golda. She takes a paper packet out of a pocket and she sprinkles some herbs from it into the pot of food she's cooking. And Scully is like, what is that? And then Golda answers something in Romanian. And then Steve enters the kitchen and tells Charlie to get his coat. And Maggie follows, saying they have no right to do this. But Steve tells Mulder and Scully that he'll meet them out front. So he's going to take the kid to therapy anyway, or to the interview anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Scully, a little nosy. I mean, I get it because we don't think something's going on, but I would be like, yeah, screw you, lady. Get out of my house. Eh, I'd be curious. Although yeah. I would have been a little nicer if I'm like, oh, what's that? Because you know, yeah, because she was just up in her face. She, she was, was very, she wasn't yeah. very nice. About I'm like, it. you have a warrant, lady? Because if not, <laughs> eh. anyway. I mean, Scully's always pretty direct with people in their kitchens. I feel like that happens a lot on the show. So in the garage, Steve and Charlie get in the car, and the garage door opener doesn't work though for some reason. So Steve gets out. And he grabs a ladder and he climbs up to work on the opener and he hits the reset button on it several times. Nothing happens. But then suddenly we see the car doors lock inside the car and Charlie's like, and then the garage door starts to open and his tie was like flopped over the chain for some reason. And so it gets sucked into the track and the door turns on and he's like hanging. Oh, he's being strangled by his tie. And Charlie is screaming and then Steve kicks the window and shatters it. And then the garage door opens and Scully sees him hanging there because they're outside waiting for them to come out. And so they both get out and run and try to save him. And Charlie is screaming, but he's dead. And it's commercial. Yeah. yeah. So standards I, and practices made them shorten the scene and also obscure Steve's face a little during the worst of it to make it a little less grotesque. I realized they obviously had to change it for him. But this scene is super tame and I really don't see how they could have made it. Yeah tour they'd be like oh that is too much <laughs> yeah but i don't know whatever also like they're in a hurry to go see the counselor why didn't he just pull the quick release thing and open the door manually instead of like i gotta go fix them take garage door opener i don't know i mean if you've had one you of those can, let me get a ladder out and work on it you could just yeah pull the quick re- that's what the quick release is for in case the garage door doesn't open you can open it up manually yeah but, probably because like he probably has had problems with before and hitting reset usually probably works so he's like oh i'll just hit the reset button and then obviously it did work yeah. it did not, not sure work. how his tie got flipped up over the chain i don't know magic yeah, yeah. Bad and then what kind of shoes is he wearing to like shatter the window like <laughs> oh my god like you have to buy like special tools to like break your window in case you get trapped in your car and he just like kicks it and it's all yeah. i got like those ninja boots with like the knives or something in them i don't know what's yeah going on. like super steel yeah invincible shoes i guess or it's tv yeah, well, and I think they wanted to show how dramatic, you know, oh, he's hanging and he's fighting so hard that he broke the window. I don't know. So upstairs in the home, there are two officers talking in the hallway and Scully approaches and one of the officers opens the door and he's like, did you see this? And in the room, we see there are lots of candles and a table covered in bottles of substances and herbs. And there's also a dead chicken. And we assume this is Golda's room and the window has a stained glass swastika with dots around it, like the one she drew on Charlie's hand. Yeah, we also saw it in the very first time we see her looking out the window too. The yeah, we do. We get a quick shot yeah. of it. So Scully looks out the window, and downstairs she sees Golda greeting three men who are getting out of a car, and they're wearing like hats and kind of orthodox-looking clothing. 
So in the garage, Mulder's examining the garage opener and he's dusting a substance from the top of it into a small baggie. And Scully comes in and asks if he found anything. And he says, maybe, and he hands her the baggie. And Scully's like, oh, looks like ash. And Mulder says it's everywhere and he sweeps them off the roof of the car. And Scully's like, well, the Holbys did say they had some electrical problems. Maybe the ash is from the motor shorting out. And Mulder says the motor's actually working fine. He checked. He's going to have the ash analyzed. And Scully says, first, they should get Charlie out of this house. She put in a call to a social worker. And Mulder says that the courts are often reluctant to intervene in these situations. And she's like, not after they see there's two dead roosters in grandma's bedroom. And so he's actually surprised to hear about the roosters. And he's like, do you still think it's Munchausen by proxy? And she says, without a doubt. And then the garage opener turns on and the door starts to open. And Scully asks what Mulder did. And he's like, I didn't do anything. And then outside we see Golda is standing there with Charlie and two of the men. And I can't remember exactly what she says, but something like, get away from our house and walks off. Yep. Very dramatic. So apparently they do because they're back at X-Files office. And Mulder comes in and asks Scully if she wants to see something weird. <laughs> and so, I mean, that's what's got to be careful sometimes. Mulder asks if you want to see something weird. <laughs> yeah, got to watch out. Make sure that he's referring. Yeah. Usually it's weird yeah. stuff, I would think. But yeah. 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 <laughs> So he had the ash from the garage tested, but it contains nothing, no metal, no carbon, nothing organic or inorganic. According to technicians, this ash doesn't exist. So he grabs his coat and says, come on. And she's like, where are we going? He's like, we're going to get a second opinion. So <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God, it's like that makes no sense. Like, no, what is, it? is it antimatter? It's not organic. Just say, like, it's not ash or it's unlike any known ash like or they can't tell what it is like those are suitable alternatives and they don't sound ridiculous like yeah i honestly because it's not i I think it's Mulder just being hyperbolic like i think it's just him being ridiculous but yeah it is it doesn't make sense because obviously it exists we can see it so yeah yeah so then we're at university of maryland college park and chuck the photo analyst guy is holding the bag of ash and he says wow i haven't seen this stuff since india 1979 it tells him it's called the booty it's holy ash and he smears some between his fingers again evidence oh my god come on because <laughs> this guy's not an F- this guy's just a, pro- a college professor apparently but okay whatever and he says technically it's known as an apport it's like something that materializes out of thin air and scully's like nothing just materializes out of thin air and he mentions a story of jesus christ creating bread and fish out of nothing and scully's like um that's a parable and he's like yeah but in 1979 i witnessed a guru create a whole feast from thin air and then she makes a joke that if he'd taken a photo of it he probably could have run it through his computer and seen the entire last supper Mulder kind of laughs mm-hmm. so i'm definitely on team scully here because this is crap <laughs> this is so much crap <laughs> i know she just looks so like are you shitting me through this whole scene? And it's it's perfect. I love it. So yeah, no, I love her too. Story. Yay! Yeah. yeah, and also, so Mulder's second opinion on material science or chemistry is going to his Photoshop guy. <laughs> like okay, Mulder, Mulder has a very, very limited <laughs> circle of experts who will put up with his nonsense, right? So like, oh, he's kind of going through what he can get. <laughs> yeah. Chuck tells them that the booty is created during the presence of spirit beings or bilocation, which is where one person's spirit energy is in a different location than their body. 
So Mulder thinks this energy might have set off the garage door opener. And Chuck kind of like, yeah. But Scully says someone could have just used the remote control. <laughs> and Mulder's like, who? And she's like, well, who was the person that was standing there when the door opened? Golda. So I don't know why they didn't use this story to begin with instead of the whole like, it's nothing. It doesn't exist. Just be like, it's yeah. They could have skipped like that. Dried ectoplasm, basically. <laughs> so, yeah. Like they don't know what it is, but I know someone who might. And then boom, <laughs> we go right, and then mm-hmm. boom, we get Chuck's thing instead of being ridiculous. But yeah. Oh well. <laughs> so back at the Holby home, Charlie is pressed against Golda's door, and light is shining through the bottom, and there's chanting inside. So mm-hmm. Charlie's trying to figure out what's going on in the room. It seems like. So inside the room, we see the men from earlier and Golda. And one of the men is draining blood from a chicken while they chant. So they light and drop matches into a bowl of blood. And then Golda pours in another liquid and it fizzles and smokes. And in the smoke, an image of Charlie appears speaking Romanian. And then Karen Kossoff arrives at the Holby home. And when Maggie answers the door, she identifies herself and says she's been instructed to file a report with the court. So she asked to come in and Maggie's like, no, she's already had enough trouble. And Kosov says she understands, but she's like, well, if you won't talk, I have to put that in the report and it might complicate the situation. So Maggie reluctantly lets her in. And then we hear Charlie call for his mom. So Maggie runs upstairs and Kosov follows. So Charlie's lying on the floor of the hallway outside Golda's door and his face is sweaty and his hair's all damp with sweat. And so Maggie kind of cradles him and she says that he's been sick and her mother was supposed to be looking after him. And then they notice that there's smoke coming out from under Golda's door. So Maggie opens it and her mother is standing around that table with the men. So Maggie tells the men to get out of her house and Golda says something in Romanian and points to Charlie. And Maggie hugs Charlie tighter and she repeats for them to get out. So the men take off their vestments and leave. And Maggie tells her mother she's had enough. She wants her out of the house. And Golda starts chanting and she grabs Charlie and she pulls him into the room and shuts the door, which is now locked. And so Maggie pounds on the door, but she can't get it open. And inside we see Golda holding Charlie by the wrist with one hand and she raises a knife with another. (laughs) Not good, not good. Golda's got some fast moves, man. She's like, yeah, she's quick. Boom, boom, grab that kid, close the door, lock it. She's on it. She's bright for an old lady. Yeah. Yeah. It's all that smoking that she does in the room with her buddies. So, <laughs> the smoke coming out from the door. I'm like, ooh, she's burning incest. They don't smell the weed. Okay. Anyway. So Karen runs off and she sees Mulder and Scully pull up because they're driving in their car and they like pull over. And she tells them that Golda has grabbed Charlie and locked herself in her room and she might have a knife. And that she is called 911. And so they all run inside. And Mulder asks, what happened? And she says what she saw about the three men and the ritual. And then as they get close to the house, they hear Charlie scream. So they run. And then we, inside the room, with Golda and Charlie, the candles, they go out. And Golda holds Charlie close. And she's like spinning around in a circle. And she's holding a knife. So we thought she was going to attack Charlie with a knife. But now it's like she's using the knife to protect him from something. We don't know what. But she's like same stuff in Romanian and spinning around. And then she's like, it's the only way. So then she does grab Charlie and tries to cut him. But he's like, no. And he pulls away and he goes up against the wall. And then this large, like, 
like candle holder or statue where it, like the room's dark and the thing that hit her was black. But anyway, something flies across the room, boom, hits Golda, knocks her on the floor. Mulder and Scully arrive at the door and then inside we see Charlie and he's holding the two dead roosters, one black and one white over Golda and she's on the floor and he says something in Romanian and then he throws the dead chickens at her and they come to life and they start attacking Golda. And Mulder and Scully bust in with their guns drawn and Maggie sees her mom on the floor. She's probably dead. She's covered in blood. And so she goes over crying and Scully follows and Charlie's just kind of standing there and Mulder stares at him. And then it's commercial. Yeah. So Golda probably is dead because it's commercial. Yeah, it doesn't bode well for her. Yeah, killed by chickens. So a crime scene unit looks over Golda's room, taking photos and gathering evidence. And Mulder's in there with them and he touches some ash and then he picks up a jar from the table and Scully comes in. She says Charlie claims not to remember anything. The coroner's preliminary report says that Golda died of a heart attack, but Scully thinks from the wounds on her face, it looks like her eyes were pecked out. Mulder says there's more ash beneath where Golda's body was lying, and he hands her the jar, telling her it's mugwort. He thinks it's a ceremonial herb. And he mentions the backward swastika on the window and the red string on Charlie's wrist. Those are all protective devices. And Scully asks, protection against what? And Mulder doesn't know, but he thinks Golda believed the family was in trouble and the men were there doing a ritual to help. So they hear Maggie yelling at someone to get out of her house. Downstairs, she's talking to one of the men who were with Golda. And they say something in Romanian, but Maggie isn't interested in their superstitions and she yells at them to get out again. And Mulder and Scully ask who the men are. And Maggie tells them they're the Kalashari. In Romania, they're responsible for the correct observance of sacred rites. Scully asks what they said. And Maggie says they told her it's not over. The evil is still there. <gasps> yeah, not good. Does Mulder just know what mugwort is? Apparently. Or is there like a label on the bottle? Or Maybe. I don't know. Okay. Just curious. He's like, it's mugwort. <laughs> so. Which sounds made up. It's probably not, but... No, I don't think it is. Yeah. I think it's real, but yeah. So Mulder runs outside and chases after the Kalashari dudes and asks him if he can talk to them, and they just ignore him and keep walking to their cool station wagon. And Mulder's like, you're trying to protect the family, aren't you? And so finally he, like, grabs one of the men and, like, spins him around and says, I can arrest you if I have to. And the man tells him the evil that's there has always been there, and it goes under a thousand names. And it doesn't care if it kills one boy or a thousand men. And if Mulder tries to stop them, the blood will be on his hands. And they get in their station wagon and they drive away. And then later Mulder and Scully find Maggie. And she's looking at family photos on the mantle. And they're like, we know it's a difficult time, but there are some questions that need to be answered. And Maggie says her mother used to say that evil follows evil. Once someone suffers a misfortune, they'll always have bad luck. And Maggie used to think that was just superstition, but now she's not so sure. She had blamed her mother, thinking that maybe she put a curse on them to punish her for abandoning the old ways. Mulder asks if she knows what kind of rituals Golda was doing, and Maggie says she was trying to cleanse the house of evil. She believed Charlie was responsible for Teddy's death and maybe Steve's. And Maggie doesn't know how he could be responsible for all this. He's just a little boy. And Scully says that they should take Charlie and find out what happened in Golda's bedroom. And Maggie nods. Yeah, so she finally kind of agrees. Maybe they need some outside help. 
Maggie's had a rough couple of days. Well, I guess, I guess Teddy's death has been like three months ago. Right. But in the last, like, pretty raw for losing your kid. Yeah. But then, like, in the same day, or at least in two different days, she's lost her husband and her mom now, too. Yeah. She's not having a good time. Yeah. So then we're at St. Matthew's Medical Center in Arlington, Virginia. And we see Karen Kosev sitting with Charlie, and Charlie's playing with an etch a sketch. And she asks if he can tell her what happened in his grandma's room. And he shakes his head. And she asks if he knows how he got there. And he just shakes his head and says, no. And Kosev says, his mother said you were there. Don't you remember? And then Charlie yells that it wasn't him. He wasn't there. And he kicks some toys. And she asks, who was in the room? Was it someone else? And then he shouts, no. And Kosev asks who hurt his grandmother. And Charlie says, it was him. It was Michael. Michael? And Mulder and yeah well so Mulder, scully and maggie are watching through the one-sided glass and maggie has a really strong reaction to the name so she like turns around and scully's like miss holvey and maggie's like we never told him it was our secret and Mulder asks what she's talking about she says michael was charlie's twin he was a stillborn And Golda wanted to perform a ritual of separation when she heard of Michael's death to divide their souls. And that if they didn't divide their souls, the world of the dead would follow Charlie. But Maggie's like, but it was just a superstition. Mm -hmm. So this is, yeah. And it's so weird because this is the second weird twin story in a row. And it's just funny that these things seem to happen back to back. Like Humbug had that weird twin thing and now... We've got the weird twin thing here. Yeah. Should listen to Golda. Yeah, maybe. I mean, she was not wrong. I mean, what could it hurt, right? Let the old lady, like, oh, she's just a crazy old lady. Well, then let her do it. What could it hurt, right? Not going to hurt anything. But if she doesn't do it. um, Yeah. Well, that's your mom, too. I can't imagine just, I mean, maybe Maggie really wanted to, like, fit in in America and just didn't want to deal with that kind of thing. And she didn't want... Maybe Steve was really against it because he was against that weird superstition. I mean, he didn't seem very yeah. happy. With- I don't trust Steve, honestly. No. <laughs> I've been thinking about it. Like, they met in 84, and Charlie's 10 years old. It's 95, so it didn't take that long for him to get Maggie pregnant. And then he takes her away to America. Mm, mm, don't like Steve. Yeah, I could see And then that. they wait eight years to have another kid. There's something going on in this marriage. So. Well, not anymore. <laughs> well, that's true. But yeah. Yeah. So then Karen calls for help. And in the interview room, Charlie's on the floor having some kind of seizure. And so Scully's like, don't restrain him. Don't restrain him. And then like, they all come in to help basically. Yeah. So later Mulder is standing on a landing in a building, which we'll learn is a hospital. And Scully tells him that Charlie is resting. And Mulder tells her that Maggie is in the waiting room trying to get some sleep but he's amazed that she hasn't broken down entirely. No shit. Yeah. Anyway, the doctors say that Charlie had some kind of seizure, but they haven't been able to determine the cause. So it's probably the same doctors that looked at the ash because they don't know what's going on. <laughs> so in his room, a nurse like pulls back the curtain and scares Charlie. She's like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to scare you. Not the best bedside manner, nurse. We'll find out her name is Nurse Caster, and she's going to give him something to help him sleep. And he sees the needle and he's like, no, I don't want a shot. And she's like, I know that's what happens when you spit out your medicine. So she swabs his arm and then picks up the needle and grabs him. And he's like, no, no. And she's like, it'll just be a little pinch. And he fights her. 
and then the camera focuses on the door and in the behind the door it's shadowy and then we see what looks like charlie standing behind the door but guess what it's not charlie it's Uh-oh. michael no and the door closes and charlie's like no no don't do it and she thinks that he's talking to her right. and doesn't realize that michael has an iv stand and he goes at nurse caster she turns around and boom knocks her out and then it's commercial yeah yeah so michael has manifested yeah that's scary yeah so maggie's sleeping in the waiting room and charlie wakes her up and he says he wants to go home now and so she's relieved to see him and he's awake he's okay and she's like why are you up and dressed and he's like they told me i could go home now and so she does seem kind of suspicious and she looks a little like "Mm, this is weird and then she says okay we'll get your coat and we'll go talk to the doctors and he's like no we should just go home we shouldn't talk to anyone and she still seems like this is not correct something's odd so i think she knows what's going on but she's like okay charlie we'll go straight home so she is suspicious i don't think that's charlie yeah i don't think so either and i think maybe maggie doesn't think so either Hmm. so Mulder and Scully are still hanging out on the landing I don't know if they've been there or if they just ended up there again but they see Maggie leaving with Charlie like out in the parking lot because there's these like big windows and so Mulder runs up to Charlie's room and we see he's still in the hospital bed and then they find nurse Castor on the floor and she's like finally coming around from her injuries and so they call for help and she tells them there were two boys and the other one the one who wasn't Charlie hit her and another nurse arrives, so Mulder tells Scully she needs to get to the Holvies' house because the boy that Maggie left with isn't Charlie. <gasps> Called it. Yeah. And so Scully's like, are you saying Maggie left with a ghost? And Mulder's like, a ghost, a spirit? It was that thing in the photo with Teddy, the thing that Golda was trying to protect the family from. It's killed three people, and we have to stop it before it kills again. And then she asks Mulder what he's going to do, and he says he's going to go get help. It's killed three people. Go stop it. Bye. Yeah, by yourself. <laughs> that's that's a great plan that works out well for us all the time. And will keep working out well for us the rest of the season. I'm not referring to anything specific. I'm just saying maybe you should start working as a team and you know really embrace the uh, buddy system here. But they've got to be in two places and there's only two people. So what are you going to do? I guess. I guess what are you going to do? Yeah, I mean, they're not. Just gonna say they're not gonna learn from this incident. He either. can't go anyway, off with Daphne we'll and she's stuck with that. Shaggy and Scoob. They gotta figure something out. So apparently yeah. not. Yeah. I mean, I know we kind of dunk on the idea of the X-Files team that they're gonna do, <laughs> but maybe, maybe in some circumstances it's a better better option. Yeah, anyway. Plus Skinner would be there. Mm. Mulder and Skinner could go off. Oh yeah. See, and... then we can bring Skinner in. Yeah. Anyway. Scully could go with the lone gunman and Frohickey would be very oh, happy. Oh, Frohickey, he's been working out. He's buff. Get to protect her. <laughs> anyway. So at the Hold Me Home, Maggie puts a plate of pasta in front of Michael... 
He asks why she's not eating. And she says she's not hungry. And he asked if tomorrow they can go to the park. And she's like, sure. But she's still kind of suspicious, maybe. Or maybe not, maybe. And he asked if he can have a balloon. And she's like, uh-huh. And she's looking in the drawer for something. And then, oh, too soon, Michael asks if he can ride the train. And she's like, mm. And she grabs the matches and leaves and tells him to finish. And she'll be right back. Too soon, Michael. Too soon. Oh, I know. I know. Okay, first of all, he's creepy <laughs> as heck as Michael. Like, he's creepy. It is like every scene from like a horror movie with a little kid not acting right. And he's like, we can go to the park tomorrow. And she's like, sure. He's like, and I can have a balloon. And like, and then asking to yeah. ride the train. It's that asking oh. that's really saying we're going to wow. do it. It's like asking that's telling, not asking. Yeah. Yeah, it's no. not asking. So in Golda's room, Maggie starts lighting matches and she starts chanting in Romanian. She lights like three matches and drops them into water or blood or who knows what. And she says, please don't let it be true. And the matches kind of float for a little bit. And then they one by one, they sink. And apparently that indicates that it's true. And then Michael appears in the doorway. Maybe it's Charlie. It's Michael. He appears in the doorway and his hair is blowing like in the wind. And he's like, what are you doing, mommy? And she like holds up a knife and starts chanting. And the wind is blowing her hair. And so hmm, maybe someone left the window open or maybe um, this is spooky as spooky can be. Who knows? Yeah. So yeah. Mulder's in the hall of the hospital and the Kalashari arrive and they go into Charlie's room. Mulder goes in with them and one of them tells him to guard the door. So he shuts the door stands at the door and then back at the holding house scully enters because the front door is open apparently and she goes in she's all maggie tries to flip the lights but the power is off so she uses her flashlight and heads upstairs so i guess it's a good thing she had a flashlight with her and then back in the hospital the men surround charlie's hospital bed and they start doing a ritual and charlie starts hissing like he's being exercised he starts yelling in romanian and they put herbs into a small cauldron and it starts bubbling and then one of them has Mulder come and hold his feet because he's squirming around. But he tells Mulder to look away or he'll recognize him. And so Mulder looks away and he looks at the wall and the wall is dripping with this like yellow, viscous, goopy stuff. That is apparently something that happens in exorcisms a lot. But yeah, know. or at least there's a name for it, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> I don't either. I don't know that much about exorcisms. So at the Holvies, Scully opens the door to Golda's room and the windows shatter. And we see Maggie is hanging up near the ceiling, kind of like against the wall as if by magic. And she's chanting in Romanian. And Scully sees the shadow of a little boy. And then the door slams shut. And so Scully calls for Charlie. And Charlie's voice comes out of Maggie's mouth. And she says, Mommy. And then something slams into Scully, sending her flying across the room. Yeah, Scully can take a hit. Because this is like yeah. the second time that she's been sent across the room from a blow by an attacker which like in reality would probably cause severe internal damage never mind just like breaking bones when you hit and getting hit and all this kind of stuff so also yeah. oh this is the first time scully's finally gonna witness some paranormal activity yeah usually she always misses it because usually it's molder and then scully comes in like right after it ends uh -huh. and now she's in it boom she is in it yeah, I was thinking about that this morning, and I was thinking about how, like, in sh it's kind of like in shadows when she, like, walks in right after it happens. Mm -hmm. but this time she's there in the thick of it while it's going on. Yep. 
Yep. So back at the hospital, one of the men takes out a knife, and Mulder's kind of looking a little like, ooh, ooh, mm-hmm. what are we doing with the big knife? And the man slices open Charlie's palm, and the bed rises up in the air, and Charlie's like, it hurts, like a little kid, you know, trying to trick Mulder. And Mulder lets go of his feet, but the man says, don't let go. He's trying to trick you. And so Mulder grabs him again, and they're holding Charlie's hand, and they bleed it into a bowl, and then pour that into the bigger cauldron. And then one of them takes a feather, dips it in that liquid, and then paints on Charlie's chest with the feather. And back at the house, Michael picks up a knife, and he comes at Scully, and he has it over her. And then we see at the hospital that they finish drawing the symbol on Charlie, and Charlie becomes calm. And at the house, Michael vanishes, and Maggie just, like, slides down the wall. She just... And Scully rushes over and she asks if she's all right. And she says, Charlie. And they look over to where Michael was and there's a pile of ash on the ground. And we see Charlie is in bed at the hospital, passed out. Not ash, the booty. Yeah, it's the booty. Sorry. The booty. I just wanted to get that like, not Fox, Mulder. <laughs> Aww. Not ash, the booty. So then Maggie and Scully arrive at the hospital and Maggie bursts into Charlie's room and rushes to his bedside and the older of the Kalashari men who usually does all the talking, the only one that actually has lines in the episode, Mm -hmm. he says it's over for now, but he warns Mulder that he must be careful because he says it knows you. And then he shuts the door to Charlie's room Mm -hmm. and then Mulder and Scully walk down the hall and we get Mulder's voiceover and he tells us the strange case of Charlie Halvney and the deaths that occurred during his possession of a dark and malevolent force are unsolved. And the boy remained under the watchful care of his mother. Although Mulder believes that Charlie is innocent of the crimes, he's disturbed by the warnings of the Kalashari that neither innocence nor vigilance may be protection against the howling heart of evil. Ow! <laughs> the end. He doesn't yeah. howl, but he could have. That would have been cool. Yeah, would have been cool. Yep, so this episode was written by Sarah Charno, as we know, who also writes under the name Sarah Cooper and worked on a lot of shows like House. Apparently, she's also a doctor of Eastern medicine or was before she moved to television. So she has a lot of knowledge of disorders and stuff. Although Nick is going to point out why that's kind of one of those like vague things that's not real. Yeah, I mean, doctor of Eastern medicine is like saying like, oh, I know things. Because like, there's no East-West divide between science and medicine. Yeah. I'm also, I'm not sure what Eastern medicine or being a doctor of it has to do with like Romanian male-only secret societies that are focused on horses and dancing, which is what the Kalashari actually are. And then being co-opted to do like not exorcisms, but whatever. It probably works as PR like, oh, and she used to be a doctor of Eastern medicine, whatever. Yeah, and from what I understand from, like, calling yourself an expert in Eastern medicine is very, I mean, obviously, it's there's some racism there, but it's also this idea, like, I mean, obviously, medicine is medicine wherever you are, right? Yeah. And so, like, Eastern medicine is, like, it tends to be used more in the, like, pseudoscience-y things that sometimes are pure snake oil, sometimes aren't, but, like, a lot of times it can be used to justify charging $500 for a seminar on how to get well by using vitamins that only I sell or whatever and that yeah. kind of stuff. Well, I mean, so. that's almost like not even Easter. That's not more like snake oil shit. Well, it is snake oil shit. I'm but, saying that people use yeah. the, the veil of being this knowledgeable expert on Eastern medicine 
which plays into like America's racism because you can sell people stuff by saying, well, the medical system here is terrible, but back in, you know, ancient China, they knew of this solution, you know, that kind of crap. So, yeah. Long story short, the whole Eastern medicine thing is because of a book that came over from China that was imported like in the, oh man, I'm going to get my dates mixed up. Either late 60s, early 70s, I forget exactly. What happened, though, is they only brought one of the books over because it was a two-volume book. And one of the volumes was medicine. And the other volume was the volume you would use until you could get to a doctor. So it had, like, all these, like, home remedy kind of things. It wasn't all they did. It was to get you to the doctor. Right, so you would like, survive because long it's enough. rural and China's right. big. And so, like, until we can get you to a doctor, here's stuff you can do. But they only brought the one book over because the other book basically said all the same stuff that we do in the West. Right. And so they're like, oh, look at this. It's ancient <laughs> Eastern medicine. Yeah. And Frank Spotnitz said the first edit of this episode didn't pass muster for Carter. So actually, Chris Carter spent a lot of time in the editing room trying to make this episode scarier. comment i mean i don't have the first cut so i don't know what that looked like so i can't say what changed no comment it's fine yeah yeah i do hope that maggie and charlie get some therapy at some point though or at least maggie because charlie just might be evil we don't know so he might be i don't think so but could be could be he didn't seem to have much trouble with teddy getting run over by a train well, I mean, to be fair, we don't. I mean, see was a that Michael and not Charlie? Yeah, Charlie was homely, know. like, "Hey, I thought we were going to the park. Why is everybody leaving me at home <laughs> with Grandma?" Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. Or maybe he knew what what it was, and that's why he had that face. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, he's a creepy kid. He wasn't very creepy in Conduit. I feel like he's creepier in this one. He, I mean, he was a little, but he was kind of more in that like, he's not creepy. But like the situation is he's the he's the messenger of creepy things. Whereas this one, he's like, yeah, he's creepy. Also, he's older, so he looks creepy, too. So there's that there's that in between when like you're a cute kid. So there's like the Teddy who looks goofy, not cute. And then there's that in between stage when you are cute. And then there's that before you become an adult when you just aren't attractive at all, no matter what you look like. And then you're an adult. And so. I feel like there's like the toddler and then there's like cute little kid and then there's like awkward adolescent and then awkward tween and then awkward teenager yeah. <laughs> and then awkward adult if you're like me and you just never get out of the awkward anyway <laughs> it's fine it's totally yep. cool <laughs> it's fine it's fine it's fine so I did want to talk a little bit because we had mentioned um, this episode was written by Sarah Charno and you had mentioned that when she wrote Aubrey. 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 Once you were Aubrey, they had to cut a lot of stuff out, and you suspected this episode was kind of maybe based on some of that stuff. Do you still think that maybe some of that was pulled from what they had to cut out of that? I mean, who knows? I don't know. Yeah. I'm starting to be like, when I read things about episodes, I'm just be like, yeah, whatever. You're just talking. I don't know. Oh, see. <laughs> like, supposedly this episode, like, like okay, she wrote that one. They said Aubrey was that they had to cut all kinds of stuff out of it because it was too big and expansive. It sounds like they also had to do a lot of work on this one because it was also too expansive. And then it also seems like it, the entire episode was based around the fact that 
Chris Carter wanted someone to be hung by a garage door opener. So almost like they based the whole episode, like with, we talked about with um, Dan DeVerlitz, the whole supposedly that episode was all based around the fact that Morgan and Wong wanted to do an episode where someone got ate by a snake. This yeah, I, mean, I don't was, know if the whole episode was based around it, but I think they, they had a list of things yeah. they wanted to get on TV. And this one, Chris Carter really wanted to do an episode where someone got hung by an automatic garage door opener. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, does that just like, well, we could fit it in here? Or is it like, I have an idea, and then I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. I was thinking maybe the original version of Aubrey maybe had the villain, the killer guy, have like it, or maybe like BJ had a twin that was like, maybe stillborn or something and so that was part of what was going on with her but i don't know obviously we, that's all speculation but i could see how that maybe had been part of the story and they ended up having to cut that out and then she decided to use that for this episode maybe and there's that one part where she sees like the young coakley in the mirror behind her mm-hmm. and so like was that maybe supposed to be a manifestation and not just her like right like who knows like, Maybe she had a twin or something. Yeah, Again, we don't have we don't have any of the original scripts. We don't have like the first cut of this episode to know if it wasn't scary or was scary or how much editing Chris Carter did. So yeah. we don't know. We don't know anything more than most people who are watching. Don't we know. don't know. And honestly, even if we had them to talk to, not really sure how much you can believe. So no, see, I don't. I'm not as cynical in that regard to what people say about the show. I think most of it is probably. Well, also, it's been almost 30 in. years. They've had 30 years it to has. tell stories. You, no matter what, you start oh, yeah. adding stuff and making things sound better than they were. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. Fabricate. That's just life. Yeah. So I guess we should do ratings. Should we? I mean, probably. That's okay. kind of our system. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's kind well, of what we well, do. Well, if that's what we do, then I guess we should do it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Conduit is the episode where we started doing. Maybe this episode is the episode where we stopped doing it. <laughs> and we'll just have Kevin, Charlie, Michael be the glue that binds it all together. I'm joking. We won't do that. I know. It's okay. All right. Yeah. So um, I think I'm going to give this one a six. A six. Yeah, I think it's pretty solid. I mean, it's not the best episode ever, but I think it's pretty, like, it makes sense, mostly. There's some, you know, hand-waving and, like, vabooty nonsense going on. Um, (laughs) But I like that they bring in Chuck. I think that's going to be fun to have him come back. And I think the plot... I mean, unless he's going to be doing what he does in this episode. (laughs) I mean, it's just, he's a guy to bounce stuff off of because they need somebody else. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was solid. It wasn't amazing. It didn't blow me away, but it's a solid episode. Okay. Um, let's see. Where is this going to fall? I'm trying to think if I were to equate this to another episode. What episode would I equate this to? Let's see. To me, it did feel kind of comparable to Aubrey, to be honest, although I didn't think it was as good as Aubrey, but... I mean, same author. Um, yeah, I exactly. Would, call, would, I guess you wouldn't call it author. because No, not same writer. Same writer, yeah. Words, eh. <laughs> 
Um, well, I gave Aubrey a seven. I'm not giving this a seven. Why did I give Aubrey a seven? I'm not sure. What was I? I did though. <laughs> I can't think of why I I don't know. Anyway, um, man, just so people know, I have had a rough week. And also we haven't recorded an episode in when was the last time we well, I guess we've only had one week off. Yeah. So but it feels ago. like it's been like a year. I'm just not in the groove today. Yeah, it's been a really long, long week. Very and that's just for me. I mean that's just because of the heat and stuff. So, yeah, you know, it's not supposed to be 116 on, like, degrees in the Pacific Northwest. So, no. yeah, especially not. It was for like 500 degrees in my apartment for three days, and it was I could do nothing. Like I couldn't even play Nintendo because I could not focus on anything. I was I've never been that miserable. I just spent way too much money on a portable air conditioner that is probably going to sit in the corner and barely get used because like I'm just never doing that again. It was awful. So yeah, my brain is completely like, <laughs> I just, I still feel kind of wrecked from it, to be honest. So if you have that plus anything else going on, like, it's just a really freaking rough time right now. <laughs> I think, I uh, thank you for the extra time, by the way. And, oh yeah, happy uh, Apple and buy time. <laughs> I think I'm going to go with a four. That makes sense. I'm actually not really sure, but I think I'm going to go with a four. Okay. Um, a three seems harsh. A five seems, I don't know, generous, but maybe it's accurate. I'm going to go with a four. I don't <laughs> okay. know. I agree. This, this, is, this actually is probably the one that I'm having the most. I tend to hem and haw a lot when we do these episodes when it comes to ratings time. I think there's only been like two or three that have been like, I know my rating, boom, and I'm done. But this one is really hard because there were a couple of scenes I liked that I thought were good, but then there's also a lot of ridiculousness. Um, yeah, I'm going to go to four. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right. A four. Well, next week we will talk about F Emasculata. Yeah, which is not about what I think it would be about based on that title. Yeah. It's also the only non-Mythark episode that has the cigarette smoking man in it. So oh. interesting. But I'm always up for William B. Davis. I think because of the emasculata and mm-hmm. the fact that it's kind of using like a Latin thing, it's got like the F and then emasculata. I think I've been conflating it with vagina dentata. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's what I'm thinking of because like emasculation kind of thing oh, gotcha. that's okay. not what it's about so yeah i wonder if they do do a uh they probably don't but they probably wouldn't get that but if they can't get some dude hung by a garage door open they probably would not get vagina dentata past standard and practices but could be wrong yeah they would probably have a lot of trouble filming that i imagine yeah, I don't know what that is, but I can. Oh, from context, a, I can I can make. Yeah, well, I mean, it's I would, it's yeah. it's a vagina with teeth. So. Oh, oh, yeah. okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't see Fox being cool with that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's basically what the original conceit of gender bender was, wasn't it? <laughs> and then they had to change it because Fox was like, "No," nope, or maybe I'm thinking of something else. I don't know. Whatever. There was some content like, oh, you know what? I'm thinking of something else. Never mind. <laughs> I think I'm thinking of the demon in American Gods. 
there's some character in American Gods. Anyway. Well, and there's the, uh, what's his name? Oh, I can't remember now. Oh, man. People are going to be yelling at me because I can't remember. The, um, and the Sandman, the guy who's yeah. got the, the teeth for eyes. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. I can't remember either. It's been a long time since I've read Sandman. Yeah. But yeah. The Neil Gaiman Sandman, obviously not the Golden Age Sandman. Yeah, I've only read the Neil Gaiman one. Yeah. All righty. <laughs> I think we've rambled enough. I think so. All right. With our melted brains. I know. Oof. Yeah. That's what All right. All right. Well, join us next time for Not Vagina Dentata. No, and it's a bug. It's yeah. a bug. It's a bug with teeth that <laughs> emasculates men. Amazing. Do they explain what the whole emasculata part is? I think it's just the scientific name of the bug. Oh, okay. I don't know where it comes. I mean, they might I mean, explain I mean, it. I mean, I'm guessing it's related to emasculation. Maybe I'm completely wrong. I don't know. Yeah. But don't like think it is almost every letter except for like the last part so but who knows yeah i don't know where they got the name i think it might be mentioned in the episode it's been a while since I've okay seen it now, i so mean I <laughs> they made the jersey devil a bigfoot with boobs so you know you never know you never know no i mean maybe yeah maybe i'll have a new hashtag this will be my new favorite thing <laughs> hashtag f emasculata all right hearts f emasculata (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's that's rough all right i want to rewatch is hosted by tori and nick and recorded at black cat studios episode production design and editing is by lazy and productions our music is dark science by david hillowitz and the truth is what we make of it by the agrarians you can find us at i want to rewatch.com or wherever podcasts are found Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. And you can always share this podcast with a friend. If they like the X-Files, we'd love to have them join us. Speaking of which, be sure to join us next time as we rewatch Season 2 of the X-Files, Episode 22, F Emasculata. And try to figure out if the the truth truth is is still still out there. there.
F emasculata. What does the F stand for? Um, I think it's just the scientific name. So when he says the whole scientific name, I think it's something, something emasculata. And then it just gets abbreviated to F emasculata. Flatulent emasculata. <laughs> Maybe. I don't, don't remember. <laughs> Maybe it's fictitious Latin emasculata. <laughs> I mean, yeah. probably. That would be an extremely good guess. I'm smart. <laughs> you have cracked the code. If you like F emasculata. <laughs> That is beautiful. <laughs> we can write a whole freaking <laughs> song about that episode, which is wow. Could just do a whole whole bit. <laughs> oh Lord. 